Binging on movies. Binging with Jason. You're binging on movies with Jason. Here, Here comes, comes the binge. binge. Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to the very first binge movie podcast of 2016. This is Jason Leroy. My name is Rebecca Olarte, and today we're going to cover three movies, The Forest, Anomalisa, and The Revenant. And as always, we're going to rate the movies on a three-tiered scale, binge it being the highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but kind of meh. And send it back means... Life, it is too short for this mess. (laughs) Uh, Let's get started. The first movie we're going to look at today is The Forest. A young woman searches for her twin sister in a Japanese forest, only to find herself surrounded by paranormal forces. The forest is very dangerous. Do not leave the path. Oh my god, that's her tent. Yes! Yes! You cannot stay after dark. I'm not leaving without my sister. Yes! So what is the deal with this forest? Was there another movie about about it? I know there was a video game about it. <laughs> was there a video game? Yeah, it's like you have a camera and you're supposed to take pictures of of ghosts specters. in a forest. Of yeah, specters. Oh. Uh, there was another movie about it. Funnily enough, uh, this past year at the Cannes Film Festival, one of the most ballyhooed, panned, mocked movies was called Sea of Trees. And it sounded on paper like it was going to be a great movie because it's directed by Matthew McConaughey. Or I'm sorry, it's directed by Gus Van Sant and it starred Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> oh, okay. It was like, where yes. did that come from? Yeah. <laughs> sorry. McConaughey. So, <laughs> uh, and, you know, so going into that with that, those credentials, you would think, and it's about this, this McConaughey plays a guy who like goes into this forest that is at the base of Mount Fuji. Um, that's known for, this is a real thing, apparently. Um, that's known for, it's where people go to kill themselves. Uh, and there's like there's like signs that are up when you go into the forest that say like you know suicide isn't the answer think of your family here's a content you know but it's in Japanese so who can read it (laughs) I know but yeah trigger warnings left and right about this movie they're really only worried about they're really only worried about saving Japanese people if you you can't read it they're like not our fucking problem shouldn't have come here exactly right don't want you uh, so yeah, so there's this massively mocked movie called Sea of Trees, and I didn't even realize it was about the same thing until I was looking at the Wikipedia page for this forest, and it was like, this forest, which is like some completely unpronounceable nonsense Japanese name, um, <laughs> also known as the Sea of Trees. I'm like, Sea of Trees? Trees! And then I was like, oh, okay, yeah, it's that other movie. So yeah, it's a real place, and when we were watching this movie, I was like, what the fuck kind of, like, major international tourist city has, like, a designated suicide spot? And then I was like, oh, wait, mm. we live in San Francisco, which has... Golden Gate Bridge. Like, Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, so I'm like, all right, well, you know, well played. Well played. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's a forest that is a real place in Japan at the base of Mount Fuji. And it is the setting of this movie very creatively called the forest it's beautifully shot the the shots of the forest are are gorgeous yes and i i should have i, I wanted to look up to see if it was actually filmed on location there or not i mean i'm gonna guess not <laughs> yeah it was filmed in vancouver <laughs> oh my if you look God. to the left you'll see where the l word was shot <laughs> Cut out the planet or whatever that was called. I, think, I think i think jenny's body played one of the hanging corpses <laughs> Um, so that's who killed Jenny Schechter. That's who killed Jenny Schechter. She went to the forest. And at last, we have our answer, and our podcast is complete. 
it was beautifully shot. That was that was sort of like the nice thing I kept thinking while we were watching the movie. <laughs> that was sort of like the like the Thirty Rock, like Liz Lemon talking to Jenna about the Rurger, and she's like, you know, oh Jenna, the score was so moody, and then goes in for a hug. That's how I felt during the forest. I was like, oh, the cinematography is so evocative. Uh, that is definitely the nice thing to say here. There's definitely a, a, a really gifted, talented cinematographer who's cutting his or her teeth on this movie, and they're doing a great work. Cheers to you. And I hope that they get hired by Terrence Malick at some point in the future, because they've got a lot going for them. And The, the opening is a is a, like an homage to... It's very almost... Well, I guess I haven't seen it in a while, so I can't say mm-hmm. cut by cut, but it's very right. similar to Lost in Translation. Yeah, which it's a it's a funny little interlude in the movie. Uh, just like a prelude that has really nothing to do Absolutely with nothing. anything that follows. It was like, they're like, well, hell, you know, we're making a movie about like a blonde white girl who, you know, is is coming to Japan. So we might as well have her do like a night at some, you know, gorgeous uh, five-star hotel in Tokyo and have the shots of her sitting in the back of a cab with the lights of the city reflected on it while she's looking out. And, mm-hmm. and then, you know, going up to her inexplicably super, super like high floor and, you know, opening up the blinds and looking out over the Tokyo cityscape. I'm like, okay, well, this is this, this might be a good movie. Okay, so we're, we're ripping off Coppola. That's cool. And then, like, the next thing we know, she's just, like, trudging into the woods with a little roller bag behind her. That that was hilarious. The she, roller bag was hysterical. The roller bag and the outfit. Yeah. She's dressed like she, like, there was a sale at Forever 21. Yeah. Not even. What's, what's between Forever 21 and Ann Taylor Loft? <laughs> What's like right in that midsection? It's like right, old navy. Is it, is it is it Gap? It might yeah. It's <laughs> it's Gap. It's Gap. She has like one of those like thin belts on, and mm-hmm. she's just like making her way to this. And it's like a forest I mean, where people would she, hike. She kind of looks a little bit like a Banana Republic ad. Yes. Yeah. Um And uh, and that's and that's because she is the preppy twin, right. and she is there in search of her hot topic twin. Uh, <laughs> Which would make more sense if they were any less than forty years old. <laughs> <laughs> Who's in this? Uh, so the Natalie both, Dormer. Both, both twins are played by Natalie Dormer, uh, who is best known for playing Marjorie on Game of Thrones, and who also plays the videographer with like the half-shaved head in the Hunger Games films. Right. And this is her. From what I can, from what I know, this is her first leading role. And uh, man, did she try? She really went for it. You know, I mean, like I was thinking today about how nondescript, like she has two characters and I couldn't tell you a goddamn thing about either of their personalities. No. Like we no. know they're defined, they're defined by a childhood trauma. Right. Uh, which we, which we is revealed to us. And like probably the only even mildly clever scene in the whole movie, whenever we find out what happened to her. Because oh, she, right. Yeah. when she's telling the guy and she, yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway. No spoilers. Um, no spoilers. Um, so yeah. So we only know that there was like the childhood trauma and that we know from their their physical cues that one's like the prep and one's the goth. And the there goth... are a few heavy references to like always taking care of the other one. Oh yeah, and we know that yes, one is one is the caretaker and one's the wounded because she right. saw more of the childhood trauma than the prep one did. So the prep one sheltered. And anyway, she does have that one big monologue where she breaks down and she's like, "If only I, I wouldn't take it on. I wouldn't, and I made her see the whole thing." <laughs> so and Natalie Dormer is just, you know, in short, she's a British actress, and British actresses are wonderful actresses. Mm-hmm. And so she's able to like telegraph every single emotional nuance um, that this woman would be going through in the situation, even though none of it is on the page. You can just tell there's just nothing. Like, I'm sure she no. read the script and was like, okay, this is just like a blank slate. I can make this woman anything I want her to be because there's nothing here. And the movie was directed by a guy named Jason Zada. 
um, who, the only thing I can tell you about him is that he clearly wrote his own Wikipedia page. You're very tickled by this. I really am. There's Okay, there's one part that I wanted to quote where it says, Not a fan of organized education, Zada declined scholarships to film school, preferring to go out and learn things on his own. Which I feel like no, <laughs> nobody would write it because the, guy, the only other thing this guy has to his credit is that he created Elf Yourself. <laughs> the holiday internet meme thing. Right. For, for who now? Uh, for Office Max. <laughs> who, and also, spoiler alert, Elf Yourself is a product of Office Max. Um, I mean, it sounds like what we should have done is also looked up his LinkedIn and seen if it was like like verbatim the exact same that, thing. That as would his, have been a good. That would have been good. He just, he's like, it's an American Ooh. filmmaker, director, screenwriter, and digital marketeer. <laughs> yes, marketeer, marketeer. <laughs> he mean, wrote it himself. To think for even a second that there was like some big John, what's his last name? Zada. But there's like a John Zada super fan out there who's Who, like, like wrote all this? reading up on him. And he's like, this guy's a marketeer, man. Like he's a fucking, he's the real deal. He wanted to learn on his own. You know, like yeah, there's exactly. like some guy out there like spouting like the great legend of John Zada. Oh my God. Uh, no, like this is a man He just who, got done who, reading like they serve beer in hell. And he's like, who's the, <laughs> now I'm on to film. When am I going to? Oh, those are fighting words. Who am I going to like? <laughs> You've got a specific picture of this man in your head. And I you don't, do. And you don't like it. I don't. <laughs> Oh, shit. But I do have to say, I only held this movie to one standard, and it was, would it make me jump? And it did. Mm. I there were They have has a couple of those scenes that made me jump, which I think now it resulted in a neck problem, but mm-hmm. we'll talk about that later. Yes. Well, okay. So, yeah, I think that as we're, especially as we're starting off in the this part of the year, whenever we're going to be seeing a lot of bad movies every week, <laughs> um, you know, we have to ask ourselves, as like, genre-wise, what does this movie want to be? Does it succeed? Does it succeed on its genre terms? Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is a PG-13 January horror movie. And, you know, is it scary? It, it has a very specific kind of scare. It's a big fan of the face suddenly comes at you yep. um, style of yeah. scares. And um, and it also enjoys, like, scary old ladies. Yes. Some of them dead. Definitely. Uh, and, uh, and, and so, you know, it has, there, there's only so many tricks in, in you know, up, up the sleeve. And this one has one specific kind of scare that just re- repeatedly relies on, which is like the sudden leap, there's a face. Yes. Suddenly there's a face. It has that like. Gets me every time. Yeah. <laughs> every time. Your lizard brain just responds it to really it every does. time. You're like, whoa. Terrified. Yeah. Yeah. And now your neck's all fucked up. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, so, and, and so that, that's what this movie does. I, I think that, you know, atmosphere wise, it's kind of, it's a little creepy once we're in this, in, in the forest, uh, because, you know, the, it, it's not clear what the rules are. There's, you right. know, there's a blurring of, you know, reality and, uh, you know, delusion. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of interesting. And also hiking itself is a nightmare. Yes. Ugh. Tell me about it. Actually, I wouldn't know because I've never tried. Me neither. I've only ever been tricked into it. Scott once tricked me into hiking while it's we like, were. Oh, let's go to Taco we Bell. I know. Yeah. On the other side of that mountain. <laughs> yeah, it was something like that. And um, he was, you know, he just like drastically like undersold how long this walk was going. Was going to be, <laughs> we were going on. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I, I I didn't think it was especially scary. I think there was maybe one. There was like the viewfinder scare was yeah. the only time that I was like no. Um, but then you're mad at yourself because you're like, oh, why am I so dumb? <laughs> like, why? Which is why people always, like, when people, you know, scream in theaters and then they all start laughing because they're like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm such an idiot. <laughs> like, why am I scared? So because it's almost always a fake out, too. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so that's the kind of scares this movie likes. And they worked on Rebecca. It and, did. <laughs> and at least one of them worked on me. 
Um, but I wouldn't say overall that it's especially um, frightening or clever about the way it's frightening. It's a very basic push the button kind of frightening. Absolutely. Frightening. What would you say the the overarching theme of this movie is? I would say overarching theme is white Americans just wrecking shit whenever they travel internationally. <laughs> just getting into trouble, <laughs> paying no attention to the locals, not no. listening to their warnings or their guidance, and just making a mess, ending the locals to come in and save them. That is what this movie is about. Yeah, that is what this movie is about. Uh, oh, and who's the other actor in this movie? Taylor Kinney. Taylor Kinney uh, plays uh, the uh, love interest of sorts. Of sorts. Of sorts. Uh, for Natalie Dormer as uh, as she is preparing to go, you know, spelunking into the suicide forest to find her missing sister. And uh, Taylor Kinney is best known to the gays as Mr. Gaga, uh, Lady Gaga's boyfriend. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which, you know, I just wonder what he calls her. You know, like... lady. <laughs> <laughs> you think he looks like a milady here? Maybe, yeah. He seems like a polite man. <laughs> well, I was just remarking that like they are well matched in that they are both really hot bodied and they both have like semi busted faces. Oh. That huh. can photograph really well and also really badly, depending. Hmm. Um, so I think that they are a good match and should stay together. <laughs> so what are you giving this movie? You know, it's a send it back. Uh send you know, it like back. it's you know, it's an easy target. You know, we're going to have a lot of those over the next few months. Um, you know, and it's it's just not, you know, I, I appreciate that it tries to do something maybe a little different. At, at first, you're thinking, oh, this is going to be about sadness. This is going to be about depression. Right, yeah. This is going to be about, you know, loss. This is going to, you know, like, it, it seems like maybe, mm, I think the execution is just so off and it's just, it doesn't really work. It has decent enough performance from Natalie Dormer, but in great visuals, but no, this is the send it back. There's no reason to pay money to see the forest. I do think there is a, a narrow overlap of people who love hiking and horror movies, and I think we know a few of those. And we for do. that <laughs> that small those two people, this movie works. But <laughs> Or it might actually let them down even more that's because true. they'll be even more passionate oh, and informed about point. these subjects. So mm, that's why you drive you drive the reviews. <laughs> The Forest is out now and rated PG-13 for disturbing thematic content and images. And that brings us to our pick of the week, Anomalisa. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick, pick, pick. It's a pick pick of the the week. A man crippled by the tedium of his life experiences something out of the ordinary. Remember, there is someone out there for everyone. I think you're extraordinary. Why? I don't know yet. It's just obvious to me that you are. So this and Inside Out are pretty much the two critical darling animated features of 2015. And they both deal with feelings, mm-hmm. like most movies do. Ah. Uh, how do they compare? You know, I, they have more of a focus on feelings than the average movie does. Uh, you know, I think Inside Out, of course, is is there's never been a movie that's about feelings the way that that movie is. Right. Um, and, you know, these are both stories about protagonists who are at a certain juncture in their like emotional journeys uh in inside out we have the story of a young girl who is feeling sad for the first time you know starts to have more complicated emotions as she's you know hitting you know getting closer to puberty and doesn't know what to do with those feelings uh in anomalisa we kind of have the opposite end yeah we have an older man um who is Maybe just a bit now he's gone to a place where, you know, his life has been he's no stranger to, you know, sadness and and, and despair. Uh, But he's maybe at this point starting to wonder, like, will it ever 
get will joy ever come back to the control room oh, yeah. is, uh, is kind of what's going on with him at this point in his life like he's only had sadness and disgust and anger uh for a long time now at this point and uh and he needs a little joy uh so would you say he's depressed i think that i think that he's depressed i think that uh i think that you know i've had friends who who suffer with depression relate with his character and say like this is how it feels um you know to just feel like you're very much trapped um and that everything is the same and that nothing nothing makes you feel anything it's just sort of like mm-hmm. this one kind of monolithic other outside of yourself and everyone has the same face everyone has the same voice and um uh, and you know nothing really matters nothing and nothing makes you care it seems in this movie that nobody really understands understands that like you see his perspective mm-hmm. but his family doesn't understand that the people who have kind right. of uh, been collateral damage to his depression don't understand it right but it's, it's so it's made so clear to us it's very much a solitary experience for him that he cannot articulate at all or does not care to articulate to anyone else that he is just suffering privately so this is another um charlie kaufman creation he was yes. co-directed and written by him yes um let's have a refresher on his previous work yeah i was thinking that like he'd had some some stinkers or something but then today i was looking i was like oh no not really Mm-mm. so you know he wrote being john malkovich then he that was his first film which is a you know hell so of a, hell, hell way to hell start of a debut then he made then he wrote adaptation mm-hmm. uh then he wrote eternal sunshine the spotless mind yeah. Um, then he wrote and directed Synecdoche, New York. Right. Um, along the way, he also wrote, he had like two movies that didn't totally land. One was called Human Nature, which he wrote. And the other was called Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, um, which he wrote. Oh, right. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, he's had a hell of a run. And uh, and this is this is uh, a, very much of a piece with his prior work. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you definitely, Synecdoche, uh, New York, I would say it feels especially similar to, possibly because he directed that film. And that film visually sort of had the possibility of an animated film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when, once they're working on the, the, the movie, and within the movie, or they're in that giant hangar. Right. Um, this is visually, it's so stunning. You know, so this is a man who you know, knows how to realize, uh, you know, a unique vision. And in that movie, we had Philip Seymour Hoffman. In this movie, we have puppets. Yes, yes. This time around, puppets. How did you feel about uh, the puppet sex scene? How would you rate that puppet sex scene? In what sense? Binge it. (laughs) (laughs) Did it make you uncomfortable? Was it weird? Well, yes. So I've watched this movie twice now. And the first time I watched it, I did not realize how intense that scene was going to get. Right. And how frank and how graphic and how uh, real it was going to, uh, you know, seem. And just, you know, in terms of anatomical correctness and, and you know, in every bit for bit. And just, it, it's, it's one of the most graphic sex scenes that's ever been put on camera. <laughs> <laughs> it does not play. It does not play. Um, so, and I know, you know, we all laughed whenever South Park had puppet sex in the right. um, Team America movie. Um, I just called them South Park. I'm like, you know, South Those Park. South Park movies. Um, but uh, yeah, this is a really, really I- intimate, intense sex scene between puppets. And, you know, you can't laugh when it's happening. If you laugh, you're just because it's out of like nervousness. You're like, oh, God, look at that puppet's vagina. <laughs> oh, he's fingering the puppet vagina. Oh, God. It's also so very like nuanced and real and vulnerable. In a way that's interesting because it's not at all people. Is it but real? I don't have sex. You'll have to. This is not. You a, don't have sex with puppets. I'm not. Into- 
I mean, nobody does, but <laughs> I'm a virgin, so I'm, I'm, I'm. This is. I was just imagining what it must be like. But, but it's not this like you know typical cinematic sort of like oh this romantic scene where everything just kind of works perfectly. Oh and yeah, it's no, beautiful. It's, no, it's like very. It's very stark. It's very authentic. It's very like stationary camera. There's no you know it doesn't try. It doesn't do any of the things that we all hate from movies and they do sex scenes where. The woman's wearing a blanket up to her boobs, mm-hmm. and you know it's it's you know just lots of close-ups on kissing, and like it's very much like you just see the full bed for the duration of this sex, and you see it from foreplay to completion, mm-hmm. and it is in it. Yeah, it's very just unvarnished. It's very it's very honest. Yes, it's an honest scene. Uh, and the love interest in this in this story is played by Jennifer Jason Leigh, who's having quite a time. She is, thank God. Uh, do you want to talk about uh, Do you want to talk about the thing? Well, so I had a really crazy revelation on New Year's Eve in 2013, where I realized after struggling for many years, like we all do, with like what is my drag name. Mm-hmm. You know what? 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 Perfectly just sums me up and has like a nice quippy little punny moment. Oh, what is it? And I'd had dumb names like sissy gay sex. You know, I didn't think <laughs> that didn't wouldn't did perfectly didn't didn't it's not quite, dumb didn't quite land. And now there's there's a drag queen in the city named Sissy Spastic, which is better. That's uh... um, <laughs> you don't like that one as much. Mm, no. no, no. Well, maybe I should have stuck with that. And then I was for a while I was going to call myself um, Cha Cha Dubose. Mm, because mm-hmm. um, because I one time when I was coming back um, on the I want to say either the J or the N coming out of the Dubose station, um, the uh, announcer would be like Cha Cha Dubose, <laughs> and I'm like Cha Cha Dubose. <laughs> There's my name, um, and it's racist, and I like that. <laughs> Um, but uh, but then I realized in just a blinding revelatory flash that my drag name is Jennifer Jason Leroy. Thank you. How do you feel she did in this movie? I think that she was, you know, as a voice actor, she was absolutely wonderful. Um, I, 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 I did not realize it was her the first time I watched it. The second time I forgot who it was. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's right. Oh, my God. It's Jennifer Jason Lee. Like, and it's, it's a really funny companion piece with The Hateful Eight um, in terms of these <laughs> two things that she is suddenly back on the scene with. Because could not be more different characters. Aside from the fact that they each have scenes where they kind of sing a song in a very vulnerable little voice. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's the one connecting thread between these two characters. Otherwise, could not be more different. And um, you, know, you thought that her character really resonated. Yeah, I mean, uh, as as someone from Ohio that has worked <laughs> in customer service. Because it is a business trip to Ohio. I don't think we said that. No, and they do talk about the bad food it's, in Ohio. It's, so. an, it's a guy from a middle-aged dude, married dude in L.A. who goes to Cincinnati uh, over for just a one-day, overnight business trip to speak at a conference. Where things sort of really hit him and kind of come, come crashing down. Yes. Um, but yeah, very touching character. Uh, very innocent. And, and it was great that her character is so normal you know we mm-hmm. kind of have these moments where it's like you know you know sad white man in a crisis and then some beautiful model comes out of nowhere and like turns his life around and, and mm-hmm. she's so she's so very plain and she's so very ordinary and then as you mentioned the fact that he, he sort of sees her is so important to her mm-hmm. um which which you'll see how that goes when you watch it right and you know neither of these people are, are gems you know right. like these are not good looking people they're also not um, people. They're also not people. <laughs> I think the real life versions of these people are not supposed to be especially good looking. 
Um, you know, but he, you know, and it's, you know, he sees her and he sees something that, that brings him to life in some sense. And, uh, you know, and there's, there's been some criticism of this movie that it is condescending in its compassion. There was like a hmm. whole, I believe the New Yorker's essay was called like the condescending compassion of Anomalisa. Oh. That maybe this movie is being kind of, you know, patronizing to its characters. That it's like, oh, look at little Lisa. That's like just, you know, there's like, mid, you know, Midwest girl who, you know, doesn't know any better and is so appreciative of the attention from this L.A. man who doesn't, you know, realize his own mediocrity and needs to go someplace where, you know, people don't realize how mediocre he is. And, mm-hmm. You know, so, but I think that that's, I think there's a lot of projection that comes into that kind of commentary on the movie. I don't think that that's what um, Charlie Kaufman is, 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 I don't think that he's bringing that to the movie. I think that that's just something that you would bring from your own lens. Right. And where do you think this fits into the sad white guy pantheon that we always reference? You know, it's, 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 it's a new kind of sad white guy movie. Uh, I'll say that <laughs> 2016. for 2016. Because, you know, looking back at Kaufman's earlier films, um, there's certainly a through line of sad white men. Absolutely. With the exception of Aptation, really. Um, right. Aptation is really, I and mean, that's such a wacky fucking movie. Um, but, you know, I can't remember if one of the Nicolas Cage's is a sad guy. Is there a sad Nicolas Cage? There's no such thing. <laughs> that's no, no longer a Nicolas Cage. There's sad Keanu, but there's no sad Nick Cage. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean this, this, you know, Charlie Kaufman is well versed in sad white dude, uh, stories and narratives, but you know, this is, this is a really, um, kind of experimental approach to it, you know, from the fact that it's stop motion puppet animation to the really kind of, uh, wild risks it takes in its, uh, in its execution in terms of the voices, Right. There are some things you might think are even a mistake when you're first watching the movie. Yeah. So what you'll notice when you watch the movie is that all of the voices, except for the protagonist and Lisa's voice, are done by one person. And he is not trying to change his voice really that much. Like, in terms of the just the core nature of his voice, he's not going like, oh, I'm playing a lady now. Right. He does the exact same voice, just in like very, very mild, nuanced variations on. It's amazing. For every other character in the movie. And every other character in the movie also has, which I didn't even notice this until the second time watching it. The same, the same face. face. Yeah. Did not realize that. Um, so it's really, it's really kind of, you know, these artistic gambits the movie takes, I think, pay off hugely. You know, just like these, this, you know, sort of just, yeah, symbolism in, 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 in ways that I haven't seen it told before. Uh, it really, um, yeah, it was really, it was very disarming uh, and really piercing and really haunting. And uh, so I think that this, this, earns its it earns its keep as as a sad white guy thing i think it earns its place in the mythology it's not like some zach braff movie where you're like okay you know like wank wank i get it you're a sad white dude so So it also earns its keep as pick of the week so we're giving it it's the pick of the week guys go see anomalisa binge it anomalisa is out today and is rated r for strong sexual content graphic nudity and language puppet nudity puppet nudity the last movie we're taking a look at today is the revenant a frontiersman named Hugh Glass, on a fur trading expedition in the 1820s, is on a quest for survival after being brutally mauled by a bear. All I had was my boy, and he took him from me, you understand? He's afraid. He knows how far I came to find him. Okay, let's just get this is right out of the gate. Does Leo get raped by a bear? Hmm. And if so, was this actually filmed in Guerneville? <laughs> <laughs> it's a fair question. 
so yeah, this whole bear rape thing is is definitely one of the funnier uh, like random news stories of the awards movie season. Uh, he does not get raped by a bear. Uh, he does get mauled around two and a half times by the bear in a really quick span of time. And uh, and the bear does do some sexual maneuvering of his body, just in the sense that the bear just keeps like flipping him over and then like pushing his head down and, try- okay. and trying to get like better leverage. So there is, it, it's vaguely sexual looking what the bear does to Leo, but it's not intended to be sexual. It's a mother bear um, protecting her cubs, I believe. As they do. As they do. Um, this seems like dude movie of the year. Yes. Straight guys are super amped. They're so fucking amped. Why? I have not had like a single conversation with a straight dude where I was like, oh, I see movies over the last two months where guys were like, who's in the room? Like, <laughs> they're so excited for this movie. Because I think, you know, like dudes like stories about survival and about like, oh, can my, you know, it, can my masculinity stand the test? Have I got the metal? Uh, you know, to to endure something like this, to be like mauled by a bear and left for dead in the woods, uh, and then to somehow work, you know, fight my way back, uh, that gets guys going. I can um, imagine anyone who asked you that lives here, and the answer is absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. Unless they're in some, you know, like bear a survivalist cult, I don't know about. I can't imagine. That, You're the uh, only one in one of those. <laughs> Shh. <laughs> uh, so, and there's, in addition to the whole, like, oh, dude abandoned in the woods, you know, living off of the strength of his balls, um, there's also uh, a lot of Native American mysticism in the movie. Which, you know, as we all know, like, straight white dudes love, like, borrowing and co-opting mysticism Absolutely. from, like, either Native Americans or, like, you know, like, Japan, China, you know. So this is this is a, a white dude thing. And, you know, Leo, as he's on his journey in the movie, like, befriends a Native American and, you know, and there's and has, like, moments of, of, you know, achieving some kind of spiritual bliss through this Native American. I'm like, oh, come on, straight guys. <laughs> like, this is just catnip for straight dudes at this point. Um, so, yeah, this is definitely the white dude. I mean, like, I thought Creed was going to be the white, you know, the, the dude movie of the year, but and it might be, but this is, like, the white dude movie of the year. Yeah. Quite specifically, white dudes are fucking pumped for The Revenant, and they're going to show up in huge numbers to see this movie. That sounds like a place... You don't want to go. I don't want to be. <laughs> you don't want to go to there. Um, so let's see. There's a lot to unpack with this one. Um, we have the director from Birdman of last year, yes. uh, Ratu, and it was very ambitious, the the shots from Birdman. Yes. And this movie has, you know, is also ambitious. It was what, filmed only in natural daylight, in every awful condition possible. And uh-huh. um, is, does it work again? Well, I mean, it's a it's a great directorial accomplishment. It's a great technical achievement. Blah fucking blah. Snooze fest. You know, like there's been they have gone so far. I've never what for a movie made by for and about straight men. Such fucking drama queens <laughs> involved with the Revenant. Like an endless tour of them just going from you know press outlet to press outlet, being like, well, you know, we really suffered for our art on this one. Oh yeah. Like this was like the most difficult shoot. Like frostbite months, scares. M- months and... before it was even out, when it was still in production, they were already leaking stories to like the fucking trades, being like, we're having a hell of a time up here, you know. So it was like, oh, this is the toughest shoot ever. It's so... also like another Thirty Rock episode where Jenna's filming that movie <laughs> only by the yeah, when there's like the thirty seconds of daylight. Yeah. 
kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just abandon this whole movie review thing and do a 30 Rock podcast. Sounds great. I'd be on board with that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they, this, this, they, they really want you to care about how hard it was to make this movie. But it's like, Should we? It's like, no one made you make this fucking movie, guys. No. Right. No one feels fucking sorry for you. <laughs> like, they filmed The Wire all on green screen. I didn't know the difference. And... <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt was never in harm's way. Perfect. The Walk, you mean? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I was like, did they build the, the Walk? <laughs> you remember Joseph Gordon-Levitt in The Wire? All those green screen crack dens and <laughs> in city halls. Quote, unquote, Baltimore. <laughs> All Vancouver. Vancouver green screen. <laughs> the Walk. Correction. <laughs> oh, my God. So for all his hard work, yeah. is Leo going to get an Oscar? And if he doesn't... What's he going to do next? Is he going to set himself on fire? Is it going to be a biopic of a Tibetan monk? I think he's. He, I think he'd have to go back to like the tarred well. Because yeah. I think we all know he actually should have won for Gilbert Grape. That's, that's. I didn't know what you meant. The tarred you well. Said, You're like, oh, I, I withdraw I my support this I don't know what that word phrase. is. I have no idea. You're nope. Also, I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> so the movie he deserves it foremost is Gilbert Grape. Well, I think he, I think he deserved it then. Um, but you know, so I think he might go back to that style of character uh, if he does not win for this. But with that said, he's going to win for this. There's not a shot in hell he won't win for this. There's just no competition in this category. He's pretty much the closest thing to a short thing um, in any of the acting categories this year, or in any of the top Oscar categories at all. Like everything's kind of in in flux right now. But Leo is like the closest thing to a short thing. Um, Tom Hardy's also in this movie. He is. And he gets partially scalped, and what's left well, of his head... His character has been, so not on camera, um, He his character has been, in the past, has been partially scalped. And oh. so he goes around in, like, a knit cap with, you know, his, like, stringy strands of hair coming down. You don't think anything's wrong until he takes the cap off, and you see, like, one half of his entire head is just, like, bald scar bulging tissue oh god so that sounds awful yes so would you still fuck him <laughs> you know like i'd have to just keep telling myself like it's makeup it's makeup it's makeup and i might be able to push through but no no this is probably like the least fuckable that tom hardy has has ever been and also he does like a baltimore accent in the movie which i'm not sure <laughs> is like kathy bates style it's 100 percent kathy bates american horror story baltimore accent and I'm just like, was there already a Baltimore accent when this was happening in like the mid 19th century? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't Baltimore's know. Baltimore pretty old. It is old, but like, do they always talk that stupid? I don't think so. Like, I, I, know. Don't, I don't know if that's always like, it's the strangest thing. And like, like he, like, he really just like, you know, bends his arrows and, you oh, know, like, no. yeah, I'm like, why are you doing this? Like, no one else in this movie is doing an accent. Why are you doing Instead this? Instead of having even just a British accent, because you know, very easily, have been so yeah, far. given the time and place and everything. But no, he does a Baltimore accent, which just makes his character even less attractive. So you, so the answer is still yes, though, yeah. right? Yes, okay, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Um, and what are we giving this movie? Uh, this is a movie that I would say consume in moderation. Uh, you know, I think that it's you know it's an impressive technical achievement, but I was just left unmoved. Yeah. Uh, you know, it just felt like a lot of sort of you know empty tough guy posturing. Um, it sort of begins as a survival story and then moves into its like Native American spiritual middle section only to just completely go balls out revenge porn in its final act. Wow. All of those descriptions 
are awful. <laughs> I do not want any of that, please. Oh, wow. Uh, so I don't recommend this movie to Rebecca. For Rebecca, I would say send it back. <laughs> but for the rest of you, I will say consume in moderation for The Revenant. I actually did have one more question. Yeah. Um, like with Hateful Eight, you know it's like three hours long. Yeah. And with this one, you know it's going to, everything is going to look terrible. It's very close to three hours long as well. It's also very long. And it's very, gives you the feeling of being cold. Do you have to like hunker down? Should you go to the theater with like a coat on and like a like jerky beef jerky and like a beer you bought at the store and just be ready <laughs> yeah don't be afraid to bring your like whiskey jacket with you uh, exactly. for this one because yeah it's very similar to the hateful eight in a lot of ways honestly you know it's it's it, they're both revenge movies set in the old west in the winter time uh and they're both fucking long um so but at least that one they're indoors for most of it right and this one is literally never indoors all right, well, The Revenant is out now and is rated R for strong frontier combat and violence, including gory images, a sexual assault, language, and brief nudity. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of The Binge. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes if you're an Apple iPhone user, and if you're on Android, you can find us on Stitcher or the SoundCloud app. The website for The Binge, thebinge.us, has just had a facelift, uh, so be sure to take a look at the new mobile-friendly site. And you can find us on Twitter. I'm at the Jason Leroy, and Rebecca is at Fight Balance. All right, thank you guys for listening. Bye-bye. Binging on movies. Binging with Jason. You're binging on movies with Jason. There, there goes, goes the binge. binge.